1: And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Welcome, everybody. Little spring edition, another spring edition of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. He is J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I'm Mike Morgan of the ESPN, SEC Network, and of this podcast. Although I I don't know for how much longer, J.C., I uh, I guess now is as good a time as ever to tell you this, but I've entered my name into the podcast transfer portal. So technically speaking, uh, I could land at a number of podcasts across the country, if not uh, the world, for that matter, that uh, discuss college football as we do on a regular basis. so I'm just waiting for the best offer. Now if it doesn't come, if they don't promise me immediate playing time. Uh, then I'll probably stay here with you and keep going. But I got to tell you, uh, for the right bidder, I I could be could be ready to go. So I just thought it was fair only to, to to let you know I am in the podcast transfer portal as we speak.
0: Yeah, and then you didn't let me know before you put your name in the portal. You you let me know after the fact, and um, I pl-
1: think it that. plays better on on the podcast live. Yeah, if you know if you didn't know it was coming,
0: some guys just uh, some guys just. Uh, Want to keep being recruited, and I understand, Mike. It's a it's a good feeling to be wanted. I think it's human nature, and so um, you go, man. I'm uh, looking forward to seeing uh, what opportunities present themselves out there.
1: It's nice to be courted. Yeah, uh, a number of uh, number of things have been offered. I can't say a what. I don't want to commit any podcast violations. But, uh, but yeah, there's, there's, there's a few nibbles out there on the line. So we'll see, we'll keep this going strong as we have. But I think as the popularity of this podcast has grown, people have seen, uh, you know, what I can do in this environment and other teams have said, well, shoot, we, we got a scholarship for him here on our team. And, uh, so we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it plays out. In the meantime, we'll continue to uh, do what we do and talk about the things we talk about, which this time of year Is spring football? You got the NFL draft around the corner. Uh, You do have some some news and notes here and there. I I can tell you that uh, make your plans now for 2032 and 2033 when Oklahoma and Alabama play. I know we'll all be uh, waiting on bated breath for the next. 13 years for that to happen you know Georgia Clemson they're going to play not quite as long from now in about another five six years so I, they're great matchups the problem is unlike the other sports when you sign on for these things in football <laughs> it just gets lost in the shuffle because how excited can you get over something that's over a decade away
0: yeah I, I just hope I'm alive in 2032 that's uh that's just kind of my goal <laughs> for that yeah. that year is to you know, be alive and well. Um, I just can't imagine to think about it. And, you know, and, and it's weird, Mike, because, you know, I think probably in the in the early 2000s you'd see, well, you know, this team's going to play this team in 2019 and 2020. And you think, wow, that's a long way away. All of a sudden, almost in a blink of an eye, you get to that season. You're like, yeah, I remember in 20, 2006 when they scheduled this. Um, I think college football in general – needs to remain flexible. With I know that it's hard to get games and you have to do it in advance, but it's just getting ridiculous, I think. I mean, I think athletic directors sometimes do that um, in coordination with the coaches a little bit. I mean, you know, if you're, if you're Nick Saban, what, what do you care? I mean, unless you're going to coach when you're 82, you know, who Alabama plays in 2032? I think ADs do that sometimes as a feather in their cap. Oh, look what I scheduled and look what I did. Um, I kind of like to see, you know, five to seven years out is, is plenty for me, not 13 to 20, but, um, you know, if if you want to get it on the schedule, that's fine. And then sometimes these games get balled out. I mean, sometimes they're like, uh, I know that, uh, South Carolina, uh, probably when you were still at South Carolina and when I was still a student at South Carolina, um, it, uh, they scheduled a home and home with Georgia tech for, 2019 and 2020, hmm.
1: and uh, never and happened.
0: As the years went on, and it didn't look like Paul Johnson was going anywhere, they wisely said, no, nah, we don't think we're going to be playing this." Um, and the Gamecocks, of course, played North Carolina in Charlotte this year. I think it was before those Charlotte games even came on on track. But uh, you know, so sometimes that sometimes they don't even happen, and and we don't know with conference realignment and all that. You know, what's gonna take place? Oklahoma, Alabama could be a conference game That's by the right. time twenty thirty two gets here. So, um, it's interesting, it makes for good talking points, but I'm just like I kinda wish sometimes they do it like basketball where it's just kind of two or three years in advance and and then you, you you probably will optimize better matchups um if you kinda look there and go, Oh well this team, this team, this team, you know, it's uh it's, uh college football scheduling is something that kind of baffles me. I mean, everything from the Chick-fil-A kickoff people scheduling Duke and Alabama this year um, to some other things just kind of baffles me sometimes.
1: Yeah, you think maybe instead of 2032, we could have scheduled that to say, I don't know, 2022. Yeah. Now I can, I can get a little bit excited over something that's less than three years away as opposed to 13. I mean, that would actually be a headline worth – Kind of glomming onto and getting excited about, but that's just not the way it it works in college football. We'll see teams cancel a game real quickly, but in terms of scheduling one, uh, we got to do it a decade in advance for whatever reasons. Um, now you mentioned the, the other thing about what could happen in the future. Not only you don't know what the who the coaches are going to be, the way ads are going. We don't know who a- the ADs are going to be. I I spoke to a an AD not long ago who said, you know how long I've been here? I said, how long? He said, eight years. I said, wow. And he said, you know what else? That makes me the third most tenured AD in this conference. That's where we're heading. Like ADs have – sometimes they leave for obviously greener pastures, but when it's a league like the SEC, that's rarely the case. And you take the Joe Oliva situation at LSU, I guess that was – Maybe one of the biggest pieces of news, that and the subsequent situation where they plucked away a guy from Texas A&M. Now we're getting to the point where we're poaching administrators from one SEC school to another, not just coaches. Uh, That, to me, was interesting. Now, I I told you, I guess it was the last time we were on here. I don't even know how Joe Oliva's name came up. But uh, Joe Oliva, every time I'd go to Baton Rouge for a game, I don't know why, I don't pretend to know why, um, well, I have a few ideas, actually, now that I think about it, because I just worked with a prominent SEC alum and Ben McDonald during a college baseball broadcast this past weekend in Columbia. And he <laughs> he gave me a laundry list of reasons why Joe Leva did not fit. I had forgotten Joe Leva, by the way, was the guy at Duke when the whole lacrosse scandal came through. Mm-hmm. And not many people were happy with the way he handled that. Uh, and ever since he got to LSU, I mean, really, I've not heard a more criticized AD than Joe Oliva for, Than uh, f- just based on my trips there, uh, the guy is, is blasted routinely. And I've always said, I, uh, you know, I, I think your common fan really doesn't know how to judge an AD. Um, you know, obviously the most important thing who you hire a- as coaches of the major sports, but outside of that. Most people don't know what the heck an A.D. does anymore. I mean, they went from like the former good old boy football coach like a Vince Dooley, and then now it's become a glorified fundraising position, a lot of suits, what have you. Um, So, And and fans, if things are not going well, they tend to just they want to blame everybody for everything. So you start pointing toward an A.D. But in the case of uh, Joe Oliva, a lot of people unhappy with the way the less Miles situation turned out, and quite frankly, most recently, I don't think many LSU fans were happy with the way the Will Wade, Will Wade situation was handled. So he is gone, and they get a guy from uh, from Texas A and M, and immediately the rumors start. JC, well, I, how about getting Jimbo Fisher?
0: Ha! Not gonna happen.
1: Not happening. Not uh, that. W- no, no. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was, it, 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 it was made official basically today. He's very happy where he is, but I'm going to tell you, I spoke to a number of LSU people who were actually confident that that was a serious consideration that, okay, now that Oliva's gone, now that we got his butt out of here, uh, now we can get Jimbo. I mean, why is Jimbo? I know he coached there, and I know that LSU's a great job, but why is Jimbo Fisher, who just signed the largest contract in the history of college football, why is he going to leave for LSU where 10 wins and not beating is not good enough?
0: Yeah, look, I—, I I'm going to say this just based on what I've been told about that situation. When he was at Florida State, the LSU job and the Auburn job were two jobs he legitimately had interest in. Or interest in. I mean, Auburn, obviously, because he's from the state of Alabama and coached there for years, and, and LSU because he coached there. And LSU is a dang good job. I mean, there aren't too many jobs, Mike, that are better than Florida State, okay, despite what's going on there now. It's a national brand. Kids love the Seminoles. They know players that went there. It's a very popular school. It's got a good campus there in Tallahassee. Um, they're in a talent-loaded state, and they're in the ACC. Now you have a you know two hundred twenty-five hundred pound gorilla in the room in Clemson right now within your own division, but it's a, it's Florida State is a peachy job, a really good job. On top of that, they've only had three coaches there in fifty years. You know, and, and by now, you don't have much to live up to. I mean, Jimbo went and won a national championship, and then, you know, that was that. Um, so he wasn't really the guy that followed the guy. But, you know, right now, if Willie Taggart gets fired after this year, which you can't really rule out, um, that's going to be a job people should line up to take. LSU, though, is a job that I think um, is can be as good as FSU simply because of access to talent, You've got one of the best home field advantages in college football. Um, You know, right there, if you go down I-10 from Jacksonville, Florida, through Mobile, Alabama, uh, through Baton Rouge and New Orleans and all the way over to Houston, there's probably annually more defensive line talent and skill talent in that stretch of the country down there along the Gulf Coast than in any other part of the country on an annual basis. So you have access to talent down there uh, as well as anything else. It's a great job. Now, you know, is he would he walk away from seventy five million guaranteed in the Aggies, which also is a school that is set up for success. You know, where where you basically get anything you want. Where, you know, historically, um, they're not always happy with eight and five, but they're not going to fire you after one eight and five. Um, you know, they just want to see progress, and and you know. All that. I mean, they're not this historical juggernaut, but there's everything in place to be that way. Um, so you probably have more time. Maybe you can get seventy-five million plus some and, and play it out a little bit. So, no, I, I think I think one thing, Scott Woodward, and you know, let, let's be honest here, the athletic director at Texas A and M normally is not the guy that is calling the shots (laughs) out there. Um, Let's just say that. We can kind of look back through history recently and, and see that. But to his credit, you know, a lot of times it's who you hire. And you cannot make a better pair of hires in major sports than Jimbo Fisher and Buzz Williams. I mean, wow, it doesn't get any better than that. Um, you know, Buzz Williams to me is a top 10 coach in basketball and, and, you know, had Virginia tech in a good spot and they just went and got him, you know, Jimbo Fisher had the Florida state job. They went and got him. So, uh, hats off to him. Now, does that mean he's going to do the same thing at LSU? I don't know. I do think, and look, I'm not throwing dirt on Ed or Jerron. By God, I pull for that man. (laughs) Um, and I hope he does well. And I was really happy to see him, uh, uh, Happy to see him, uh, you know, do well. Um, I did hear uh, uh, somebody off of a from a school that recruits against him uh, the other day when when they got a they 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 beat LSU on a recruit and I got a text that said "Eat crap, Captain Caveman." I thought that was funny, but... uh, Booga, booga. Yeah, go Tigers. But I I love Ed Orgeron, and I think what he's done with his offense has been smart. He's got a quarterback. The guy can flat-out coach the defensive line. He's got good coordinators. Man, I hope he has so much success. But the optics of it were not good. You go for Tom Herman, you don't get Tom Herman. You just promote the interim guy. You know, so they're going to kind of if it doesn't work out amazingly you know they're going to criticize Joe Oliva for it in basketball will wade was a heck of a hire you know look at the team he put together this year and the talent he's got in his second year um but they had made some bad hires mike i mean you had a guy named johnny jones down there that had the number one player in the country ben simmons and other good players on that team that you know, they were so disappointed.
1: They were 19 and 14 and just turned down an NIT bid and fired. The and you coach. know, you know how Johnny found out he was fired. <laughs> he, he, he found out about it on the Internet.
0: Yeah, I mean,
1: so that that story came out on ESPN before Joe Oliva alerted. Johnny Jones, that he was fired. These things all add up when you talk to LSU folks. Trent Johnson
0: Um, was not a fit for that job. Oh, goodness,
1: God. Heck no.
0: You know, so uh, enough is enough sometimes when people kind of think. And look, Aleva resigned. I think he's going to work for the university. Joe Aleva has a good reputation um, with certain people in certain circles from his time at Duke and all that. Um, But it may have just been time to move on you, know, you yeah. know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, I, I thought, uh, Skip Burtman did a good job as the AD there after he was the baseball coach, but you know, it was time for him to move on. So, um, I think Scott Woodward was the absolute best hire they could have made from a resume standpoint. He's an LSU guy. He understands the place. Um, is that going to lead to wins and better hires? I don't know, you know, and I, I don't know that they're going to have to make any hires anytime soon, but, uh, If you're LSU, you at least kind of get the optics looking better.
1: I I look at the role of an AD now, and I really ask myself how much – you mentioned like at A&M, we know ADs don't control a heck of a lot there, right? I mean, you got some very powerful people. Uh, you know, you and I are familiar with the guy, Eric Hyman, he was there for like two years and they basically said, okay, let the adults do the, 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 the big time decisions, Eric, we're, we're okay without you. We're going to, we're going to move on. I, I, I look at it now and it's like people sometimes think an AD is going to change the DNA of a program and, and rarely does that happen. I mean, you hope to hit a home run on a hire, right? You hope to, you hope to knock one out. Jeremy Foley at Florida got Billy Donovan when nobody else wanted Billy Donovan. Um he did not hire Steve Spurrier by the way. A lot of people make that mistake. That was done before Jeremy got there. Uh, uh Tennessee, oh shoot. Uh, help me on the AD who hired Bruce Pearl when Bruce Pearl was was hardly
0: Mike Hamilton.
1: Thank you, Mike Hamilton. Now Mike Hamilton also did a lot of a lot of things yeah. that went sideways. Uh But, but, but he knocked that one out of the park. I mean, you got Bruce Pearl from UW Milwaukee for crying out loud. And he turned, he turned a moribund program into six consecutive NCAA tournaments. So every now and then an AD can, but even then, if you, if you watch how ADs make hires, they all hire agencies. They all hire search firms. Mm. There's a former coach by the name of Eddie Fogler who, who, who makes a living now he could still coach. I mean, Eddie Foker was a really smart coach at Vanderbilt and South Carolina. He's a Dean Smith disciple. He didn't want to deal with the recruiting and everything that goes with the job. So now he makes twenty-five to fifty grand. If you say Eddie, I got to make a, a basketball hire. Uh, can you give me a list of five guys? And he'll come up with five guys that he thinks are potentially good candidates and then the ad can say all right give me the uh, give me your top two and then it'll get top two and then the ad makes picks from one of the two and says well i made the higher same thing in football they all hire the search firms uh, and yeah maintaining your lawn the right way this fall starts with
0: lowe's because lowe's has the grass seed and fertilizer perfect for your growing area and the know-how to help you do it right and a great savings like up to fifteen dollars off select scott's grass seed And save $5 on a 12 and a half pound bag of Scott's Turf Builder Winter Guard Fall Lawn Food, now $14.97. For all your fall projects, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Valid through 10-2. Selection and availability vary by location U.S. only.
1: Jess, it's happening. So, I mean, your, your name is on the, like your name is on the hire, but really how much expertise do these ADs actually have in hiring quality football, basketball, and baseball coaches?
0: I think that it depends on the AD. There, there there's some ADs out there that I think are wasting their time using a search firm, um, you know, a couple situations in particular, uh, I don't like the search firm. Uh, I think that that kind of gets caught up with, you know, the, the coaching agents of the world jacking up prices and some things like that and salaries. And uh, I don't, I don't know. Necess- I've never seen a situation where, you know, you kind of look out at the landscape and all of a sudden a coach comes out of nowhere that a search firm says hire. And I'm not talking about basketball. I'm talking about football. Um, and then all of a sudden, he's a smashing success. I mean, think about your good hires. I mean, okay, so Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech, I think, was a great hire. Mm-hmm. You, you look at his you know, you're replacing a Hall of Fame coach who built your program. You need a guy that kind of has done it the Virginia Tech way, which means going out and finding players, putting together a roster, being solid on offense, defense, and special teams. That's Justin Fuente. I mean, and, and, you know, uh, Babcock, their athletic director, I don't think, you know, I I don't think he interviewed too many other people, okay, Uh, maybe talked to Tom Herman. Um, You know, you look at Florida State, and, and even though Willie Taggart was a dismal disaster his first year there, you know, that was the first name everybody mentioned because, you know, here's a guy that obviously has a lot of headlines, um, out there, deservedly or not, that's from Bradenton, Florida, that can recruit the state of Florida, that did well at USF. That makes sense. Let's do it.
1: You know, I've never seen – Although he had a losing record, so that to me was not as nearly a slam dunk as some would lead you to believe. Oh,
0: there's no doubt about it. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm just saying that it made sense when you looked at it. You were like, yeah. Huh. many times athletic directors will promote from within like they did at Oregon and like they did at LSU. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just uh, – it, it, to me, football search firms are, are I don't want to say a racket, but I just don't see where they've, they've done. I mean, Urban Meyer going to Ohio State in Florida, you know, Urban Meyer's president at Florida, uh, Mackin, Bernard Mackin, was at Utah and knew Urban from there. How hard right. was that? You know, right. Ohio State was a job. Urban Meyer's, Gene Smith picked up the phone and called him. Sure. You know, um, how, uh, what was his name? Mal Mummy. Ma- not Mal Mummy. Mummy. Mal-, Mal, Mummy. No Mal. Oh Mal Moore. Mal Moore. God. Yeah. I just combined. We Hal- just combined a- <laughs> Mummy and Malmore. Kentucky Moore. football coach for uh, the former AD. I like geez. it. Uh, uh, but But uh, Mal Moore, he didn't use a search firm, would he? Tried to hire Nick Saban, struck out. Tried to hire Steve Spurrier, struck out. Almost hired Rich Rodriguez, struck out, and then went back and hired Nick Saban. He, you know, you look at the the great hires you know, Auburn, Malzahn arguably was a good hire. And, and they just picked up the phone and called him. So I, I just don't know that the search firms ever, when you look at it, uh, work out. I mean, you know, Tom Herman at Texas, really good hire that made sense. Don't think a search firm was involved.
1: But but these are, by the way, there's some Auburn fans calling for you online, too, that want to <laughs> ask you about Malzahn being a great hire. I, I, I think that, I think, go back to Alabama. I'm glad you mentioned that. I it's mean, a no brainer. Like you don't need a, if you're Alabama and you could pretty much have your pick of the litter or everybody's going to consider that job for a million different reasons, or in the case of Nick Saban, millions as in dollar sign, different reasons, I don't need a search firm. Now, if I'm hiring for middle Tennessee state, yeah, I might spend the 25, 50 grand to give me five guys who are either assistants or guys at mid majors that I haven't really had my eye on, but you look at the sec. I mean, again, you're Alabama. You wanted Steve Spurrier. That didn't happen. You put all your, your eggs into the Nick Saban basket and you land them. And obviously the success speaks for itself. Uh, did, <laughs> could you or I have made that hire at Alabama? I mean, seriously, like you don't have to be real skilled or knowledgeable to know that Nick Saban was a good hire for Alabama. If you're Georgia and you got Kirby smart, God. the guy's an alum. He's a coordinator for an Alabama team that won a bunch of national championships. Did, did this take a lot of brain power to come up with Kirby smart? No. Uh, of course not. Now, And if you're LSU, you strike out on Herman. So then you have to start thinking, who's my plan B, plan C? And Ed O's a safe pick because if nothing else, he gives you uh, a a good old-fashioned Cajun LSU guy. He's going to recruit well. And worse comes to worse, you fire him in a couple years anyway and hit the reset button. The more creative hires, see, that's where I'm interested like where a Tennessee has to go, and we all know that I think was an absolute unmitigated disaster the way they got there. But I think Jeremy Pruitt is a solid hire. Yeah. Uh and, and, and you go ahead. Former
0: did not use a search firm there. I mean, it was uh Jeremy Pruitt's a guy that probably from the start wanted that job. Sure. And uh it came down to Jeremy Pruitt and Kevin Steele.
1: Right. Right. And then, you know, if you're South Carolina, again, you don't have the pick of the litter, so you got to be a little creative. So you find a head coach that was an exceptional recruiter in multiple spots. Uh, excuse me, coordinator and recruiter for that matter, uh, but didn't have a great first go around as a head coach at Florida. But then all of a sudden uh, we've seen guys that don't do great in their first stint and all of a sudden they do much better in their second stint. I, I mean, how do you hire a Vanderbilt football coach? That's a unique job. How do you hire a Kentucky football coach? That's a unique job. Arkansas, very unique job. So those are the ones that I give credit for. To Those are the ones where you really got to like, OK, how am I going to go about this? Because this job has warts on it and most jobs do. I don't say that disparagingly like this job sucks. I'm saying that unless you're Alabama, you mentioned Florida State, uh, Texas, Michigan, Ohio, the same usual suspects. These are these are really tricky hires. We're sitting, as we've said a number of times now, we're living in an Alabama-Clemson world, at least for the time being. Maybe by the time Oklahoma and Alabama play in 2032, that'll be different. But for the time being, buckle up and get used to where we're at. Uh, Anybody, you could write a book on how Dabo Sweeney got hired and maintained employment at Clemson. There was no brilliant athletic director move there. Uh, they, they, landed on the wide receivers coach. It was an interim tag. He wins enough to keep the job. You have a change in ADs, you lose to your in-state rival five years in a row, but you wind up keeping the job. And, and now obviously the rest is history, but there was no brilliant deduction that said Dabo Sweeney is going to become the hottest name in college football coaching in 2019. That's just how we got here. So I I, I always find the whole process fascinating how we get to, to certain points uh, and, and how some ADs get credit for this and they get knocked for that. In the case of Joe Oliva, again, there's a number of things that the fans are critical of uh, that I've heard over the course of, of several years. Fairly or unfairly, that's just been the case. But um, I, I, I I digress on that.
0: I mean, let's look at Billy, uh, not Billy, Doug, look, Jeremy Foley from Florida. Okay. When, and, and he's not the AD there anymore, obviously. But um, you know, here's a guy that everybody's like, Oh, Jeremy Foley, you know, for a while, for a while. Yeah. When they were rolling up national titles, Mm -hmm. he's he's the best athletic director in the country. And look, look at his hires. I mean, basketball, uh, you hire Billy Donovan for Marshall smart. Yeah. And then then after Donovan left, I think he made a pretty good hire with Mike white. I, Mm -hmm. I think Mike white's a really good coach. Um, And then in baseball, he hired Kevin O'Sullivan. And and that Florida baseball job had one good year under Andy Lopez in 2005 or something where they went to the final series and then was kind of in the tank. Nobody cared. Kevin O'Sullivan's turned it into a national power. He was the pitching coach at Clemson. Right. So you found him. It took
1: him a while to find him. He also hired guys like Pat McMahon. I mean, he hired some baseball coaches that didn't exactly pan out. But,
0: but, But let's go to football. Yeah. So he didn't hire Spurrier. Nope. And you go to hire his replacement and you come up with the
1: Zucker. Complete and utter unmitigated bust.
0: Yeah, and it's not that Ron Zook doesn't know what he's doing. I think he did some good things at Illinois. But, man, that job, you know, that, that wasn't the direction you needed to go. You didn't need to go in, in that direction.
1: I wouldn't trust Ron Zook to, to heat a potato in my microwave. <laughs> doesn't mean he can't recruit. Doesn't mean he's not I've I've run across Ron Zook. I actually called one of his games when he's in Illinois, had one good year there where he took him to a BCS bowl game. Uh, but again, I for that hire to follow up Steve Spurrier with Ron Zook, that was a complete flop okay. on Jeremy Foley's part. So then Urban Meyer
0: comes in and Urban Meyer's gonna Urban Meyer, as we found out as trip about he's no longer the coach at Ohio State anymore unprecedented success. And and look, I I don't know that hiring Will Muschamp was a bad move in terms of who Will Muschamp is as a coach. Was Will Muschamp a good fit for the University of Florida? Absolutely not. Now he did go in there and clean up some things and left it in good enough shape to where Foley's final act, hiring McIlwain, who basically has all of like Steve Spurrier's, like bad qualities in terms of recruiting and kind of a swashbuckling attitude. And I'm gonna call these ball plays and all this other stuff and out coach you. And like none of his good ones. And um, <laughs> and and look, even at that, the guy did win two SEC East and then complete collapse and some craziness and, and a picture with a shark and then death threats that weren't real. And he's out. Um, and then the new AD, of course, hired Dan Mullen. So,
1: so I, you know what you just said? You basically just said, and you're accurate on this, Jeremy Foley had four football hires, mm-hmm. one good, an Urban Meyer, and three that failed.
0: Yes. And and so, you know, it's, it just goes to show you now, you know, the, the AD at Florida now, I mean, you know, I, I think he's a pretty smart guy, he did a good job in Mississippi State. He didn't even get his first two choices. That We were sitting there talking about it. Will it be Chip Kelly? Will Chip Kelly take the job? No, Chip Kelly wants to be on the West Coast. Um, so he took UCLA, which is a – we'll talk about that in a second. Um, and then so, okay, so it's got to be Scott Frost. And um, I think you were more adamant Frost would take Florida than I was. I thought there was something to be said for being a Nebraska Cornhusker. And I'll take credit for being right one my one out of four times that I am. Uh, and he went out there, so you landed O'Mullen, who's also a really good coach, who may end up being a better fit than either one of those guys at Florida. You know, so so you don't always get your first choice, no matter who you are, even if you're the University of Florida and the Mighty Gators and playing the swamp and all that. But it doesn't always mean that it's a bad hire. Now UCLA, I don't know how in the world they hired Chip Kelly, because look at their basketball search. <laughs> I mean, that guy Dan Guerrero's his name. That guy, first of all, he goes after John Calipari, and you let it get out in the media. Now, I don't know if Calipari's people put it out or not. Calipari makes, what, $9 million a year at Kentucky? You offered him eight point one. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to go move from Lexington to Los Angeles for less money. Great. All those California taxes and property, all that good stuff. I, I definitely want to <laughs> cut my income by 30% to go coach at UCLA because it's just that good of a job. So then they go down the path with Jamie Dixon, who's at his alma mater, TCU. TCU can pay, all that good stuff, but TCU wasn't coming off that buyout. And so you go all the way down the road with him, and then you say no. And then you turn around and do the same thing with Rick Barnes. The same thing with Rick. Rick Barnes is on the record saying, had UCLA paid the buyout, he would be the head coach at UCLA. And then you land on Mick Cronin, who Mick Cronin may end up being better than those two anyway. Um so i don't know how u c l a was able to go out and make a good hire in chip Kelly, and then you know they're not really a known for football school they have potential um and then they land on um you know the basketball search and end up landing on Mick cronin i mean and then you got North Carolina. Who's just like screw it? We're not even having a coaching search. We're going to call up Mac Brown, and and I was told Mac Brown would be the next coach at North Carolina on Halloween weekend. Talking to a former college coach over in Columbia, South Carolina, um, he said that, and he was absolutely right. They're just like all right, we're just going to bring Mac back. I'm not even going to worry about <laughs> a search. So it is it is fascinating. Coaching changes are very fascinating, and and all that. And one more thing, Ed Orgeron, since he got fired from Ole Miss. His record as a head coach, Mike,
1: is 31-11. and 11. Okay. At LSU. And Southern Cal. And Southern Cal. So, I, you know, what he, was his record at Ole Miss? Hey, 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 10-25, he, 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 <laughs> t- man. Okay, but, so, uh, he, he, I mean, you, you know, I, I, could, I could give you 100 guys that could roll into Baton Rouge tomorrow, and on accident they're going to win eight, nine games. It's just that good of a job, yeah. And I'm not, I'm not teeing off on Ed Orgeron. I'm really not. I I I like Coach O. I hope he makes it. I gosh knows we could use a little uh, variety, uh, other than the same couple of teams competing for SEC titles every year. So if LSU actually beat Alabama, which hasn't happened in how many years now?
0: Ooh, I think we it's been, seven. Was it
1: twenty? is
0: 2011 when they. Um... When, so when they won the nine to six game up until so that's
1: eight years ago yeah. when they meet on tier in 2019 if my if my math is right i'm gonna go with eight years so uh, you know that that would be great that'd be great but my my again I, and i you and i didn't even plan on talking about this sometimes we just stumble upon something Yeah. we we got other things to get to including a a spring football game where uh, georgia beat georgia but 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 basically like I think Jeremy Foley is the classic case of, and I like Jeremy Foley. I've met him several times. I respect him. Uh, give him credit for Billy Donovan. Give him credit for for O'Sullivan. Give him credit uh, for Urban Meyer. And there's a lot of trophies in Gainesville while he was there, but he also made some bad hires. Mm-hmm. He also made some really bad hires that took a Florida football program that was a preeminent top 10 power and help pave the way for it to go through where they're they're trying to climb out of valleys over the last few years. And my point is, like, if I I said, J.C., who's the – give me the top five ADs in America based on the hires that they have made. You're going to struggle with that. Anybody's going to struggle with that. Because they
0: all have bad hires. Absolutely. And it's not that you make one that doesn't work out. It's what you do to fix it. I mean, and there are fan bases around the country that – are so mad at their AD right now that you know you you have like coaches that are going into their second and third seasons or whatever and they're like well these coaches don't work out and these are like the only hires that this guy's made you know there's no long track record they need to fire the AD and start over you know and and that's not always I mean, yeah, there's other aspects of an athletics director's job that you, you have to look at. Behind, I mean, they're they're largely judged on hires because that's fundamentally one of the most important things they do, is personnel. You have to be able to do that. But um, you know, you, you don't go firing the AD because the football coach doesn't get it going, or you don't go fire the AD because the the best basketball coach, you know, has had a disappointing season. Um, but unfortunately, in the climate we live in. Um, that's starting to take place, and it's kind of sad.
1: How many people thought when Alabama hired Avery Johnson, oh, what a brilliant out-of-the-box slam dunk hire? Well, he just got fired. Yeah. Um, nope. And, and yeah. didn't have much success. No better Tuspids.
0: than Anthony Grant at all. You know, yeah, they but- fired Anthony Grant to basically hire Anthony Grant.
1: <laughs> Anthony Grant with a much better personality. Yeah. Um, yeah you know, true. Vanderbilt just hired Jerry Stackhouse. And we'll see <laughs> how back, I mean, it's, I, I don't know. I mean, like I, I don't know how to judge. I, I know fundraising is a big part of being an AD. You better be willing to show up and meet with, and do a lot of the stuff that we don't think about and that we wouldn't quite frankly want to do, but you have to do in that spot. And then every couple of years, you've got to make a signature hire in one of the key three sports Because no one's judging an AD on on hiring a great track and field coach. And and you're ultimately, uh, by your fan base's standards, you're judged on that. And then you bring in somebody else, and guess what? They're probably going to go one out of three in their hires, too. I I can't find an AD that's had such a great track record of hiring uh, coaches. So, all right. That being said, we know the AD at Georgia hired Kirby Smart, and that is off to a good start. They had their spring game Saturday. Did, Did you watch any of this, by the way?
0: I uh, I caught some of it and also my my good friend shout out to Josh Pate uh my buddy down in Columbus he uh he went and covered it and kind of filled me in on some things so I'm um I'm familiar with what happened in Athens on a rainy Saturday
1: on a rainy Saturday so of course the game's televised and I love I heard an interview with Matt Stinchcomb uh the former Georgia All-American NFL offensive lineman now works with us at the SEC Network and I think Honestly, he does a, a really, really good job. Kind of an underrated analyst, but um, Matt Stinchcombe brought up a great point. He's like, because I asked him, he was on the on the call of the game. Like, what did, what did he, what did you learn from Saturday? He goes, absolutely nothing. And the the guy and the, the host is like, what do you mean, absolutely nothing? Nothing at all. He's like, guys, the games are televised now on national TV. Do you really think coaches are going to show you that much? And he's right. So, in addition to the paranoia of injuries and everything else you're going to get an extremely vanilla playbook against an extremely vanilla defense where nobody's hitting. So I don't know what the heck you learn, if anything from a spring game anymore, as I like to say, it's like a two hour reality show or magazine show for that particular program. It gives us an excuse to talk about, okay, you know, what if Jake Fromm got, got hurt? Who's going to be, who's going to be the backup there? We know it's not Joshua Fields. He's in Columbus, Ohio, not to be confused with Columbus, Georgia, the mighty town in the South that I actually spent a good year and a half in. Um, So with that being said, did you have any takeaways at all from what you saw and heard and read on the Georgia spring game?
0: No, I mean, look, if if I'm Georgia, you know, first and foremost, this is a talented group. It's probably a top three to five team talent wise in the country. Um, I think they've got, Many, many options at outside linebacker, which is important in the defense that Kirby Smart likes to run. Um, you know, Alabama, you look at kind of what Alabama does on defense. Um, you got these big guys that can run in, in a variety of linebackers, and that's kind of part of the straw that stirs the drink with that system. Um, I think their secondary is going to be really good. Um, I think there's some questions about the defensive line, and, and mm-hmm. I, th- I think they're going to be good, Mike. But I think it, it may take – there may be some guys that come in that – like Trevon Walker, uh, who for my money was a top five recruit in the country, uh, in-state kid, 6'5", 275 or so, long arms and athletic. Um, you know, he projects long-term as a D tackle, but kind of in that three-man front at the big end spot – Uh, I think you see Walker come in as a freshman because he's athletic enough to play there. Um, You know, and and I think Georgia, with the way they use their outside linebackers, they're certainly going to be able to get a pass rush. It just may not come from the defensive front. I know the concern is teams are going to be able to run on Georgia. I would just say that they better have a good offensive line and a good set of backs because I don't expect that um, this, this group is going to get gashed. Um, In fact, I think they'll be a little better against the run this year than maybe they even were last year. Offensively, of course, Fromm is back. I know Fromm didn't throw for – he had some incompletions. God bless, have mercy, that the starting quarterback has some incompletions in a spring game in the rain. (laughs) I mean, this is what we've come to. You know, oh, Fromm didn't look good. Oh, woo. Um, But they're replacing some guys that were – you know, receivers, Riley Ridley's gone. I think McCole Hardman is gone. Yep. Um, they're going to have to replace some of those guys, and, and and that'll be fine. I mean, you know, they've got some folks coming in, and, and I don't know that with DeAndre Swift and Brian Harrion, who I love, uh, and then you have some guys like Zamir White coming off of injury, um, James Cook, who I think is really good. Uh, I don't know with all those guys and with what I think will be a top – one to two offensive line in the sec that they need jake Fromm in the passing game to be anything but what it is so i i think georgia's gonna again be good i don't see anybody being able to really challenge them in the sec east you know they, they've they played two games that have been two touchdown games one against south carolina in 2017 one against missouri last year and those have been their two closest division games the last two seasons so until somebody steps up it's Georgia's world in the SEC East, and that subsequently means that uh, you know they're probably going back to Atlanta with a shot at the playoff if they can beat Alabama or whoever wins the West. I mean, they're, they're you know they got to go to Auburn this year, but then their other West opponent that comes into Athens is Texas A&M, and it's kind of late in the season. I think November twenty third, so uh, I, I think the schedule is very very favorable until Georgia gets to the end of the year, um, and it's setting up again to be another. Uh, fantastic season for the bulldogs
1: uh no disagreement here uh, you mentioned the you know the passing game <clears throat> Demetrius robertson did not play he had to miss the game with an illness but he's going to have to be one of those guys that kind of steps up with with what they lost at the wide receiver spot and then a pass rush i think is something that Georgia fans would love to see what they had two years ago but man that defense was loaded uh and certainly national championship caliber i don't know if they're they're back to they were where they were two years ago. I, th- I thought they took a little bit of a step back just from a personnel standpoint last year, and we'll see how they show up this year. I think the other thing, and you're again, you're not going to see any of this bear out in a spring football game, but I don't think Jim Cheney was a guy that they were going to do everything they had to do to keep. I think Jim Cheney uh, is a guy that did a fine job at Georgia, but when Knoxville came calling, I think it was kind of like, well, you know what? Maybe it's time. And I think Kirby, you know, Kirby wants to be, let's let's be honest, Nick Saban 2.0. And why wouldn't you? That's not an insult. That's a compliment. <laughs> Who doesn't want to be Nick Saban at this point in time in college football in, or in, in terms of the way he runs things and what his path to success is? And if you've noticed, uh, old Nick now, and, and Nick, by the way, you talk about a guy who's certainly not, upset about the coordinators he lost. I think he's actually very happy. There is a change in offensive coordinators uh, in Tuscaloosa. Excuse me. Yeah. Offensive and defensive really more so defensive, but I I don't think he's losing sleep over losing coach Loxley. I definitely don't think he's losing sleep over some of the defensive coaches he had last year, because it was not your typical Alabama defense with the way they got abused in some games highlighted, of course, in the national championship game. Uh, But if you've noticed overall, Nick Saban and Alabama offensively, they've opened things up the last few years. And I think Georgia has, they're going to get the talent, but at some point, I don't know if you can, you get to that next level that they want to running a overly conservative offense. Uh, I I think at some point you've got to be able to open it up. When you were, when you watch that game at LSU last year, when they fell behind early, uh, they looked like they were just out of sorts and that's not taking away anything from LSU, but I don't care how good you are. You're going to, at some point you're going to fall behind double digits in a football game in a key game. And you can't just sit there and, and do three yards in a cloud of dust when that happens. So I, I think they might be a little more open this year. Offensively, Jake Fromm's numbers you might see go up this year, not because he's a better player. He's already been incredibly accurate and has intangibles off the charts, but I think they might let him loose a little bit, and then of course, you got Swift and everything else, so yeah, yeah they're they're by far and away the team to to beat in the eastern division.
0: if you look at what James Coley, their new offensive coordinator, did at Miami, he's closer to what Loxley was doing at Alabama last year than he is to kind of the you know the jim cheney uh style you know Jim Cheney can still dial up a passing game. Uh, this guy was at Purdue with Joe Tiller when Drew Brees was setting <laughs> records, and he's got a spread background that he's implemented some pro-style um, sets with. But but what Coley likes to do is a lot different, um, you know, just fundamentally um, than what Chaney likes to do. And what's interesting about Tennessee is that uh, the guy that left to take the Western Kentucky job, uh, Tyson Helton, is much more similar to Mike Loxley and James Coley uh, than he is to Jim Cheney. So Tennessee is now going to run that. I, I'll say this. I, I think Cheney did a really good job calling plays at Georgia in certain, when you just kind of break down the X's and O's in the play calling. I agree with you that, you know, they got behind against Auburn. They got behind against LSU. You know, it was tough to come back, and there's probably not a reason for that. Um you know, I think what James Coley brings to the table offensively is, is they're going to they're gonna do a little bit more. They're going to be able to go faster and be a little bit more explosive. In the passing game, schematically, you know, the question is, you know, like Demetrius Robertson, I keep waiting for him to kind of break out, you know, and he hadn't. So I guess the hope is that he will, okay? Um, I think that Holloman, Jeremiah Holloman, is a stud receiver. I don't know who else after that they've got. You know, you got George Pickens coming in, five star guy that's six five. You got some newcomers that are talented, but you, you know, they've got to come in and do it. Um so so that's gonna be the interesting thing to me. I, I thought that, you know, hiring, you know, promoting Coley uh to O. C. was a was a smart move uh by Kirby Smart. He's a guy that was experienced. His offenses at Miami were not terrible. Um Logistics coach for Bobby Bowden. I mean, you know, just a probably a pretty good overall hire. So, uh, you know, we'll see how kind of how that goes in terms of coordinators.
1: Are you hungry for the usual today?
0: or are you ready to spice things up with the new Nashville Hot Brisket from Firehouse Subs? We're kicking up our slow-smoked beef brisket with Nashville Hot Seasoning. It's topped with melted pepper jack and our sweet and tangy slaw, served piping hot on a toasted cornbread roll. Yeah, a cornbread roll. Save time. Order your new Nashville Hot Brisket on the Firehouse Subs app today. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives.
1: Participating locations, limited time only.
0: I do think that... uh you know if you can't get the passing game going and you do have issues on defense no matter what they are and I don't I think Georgia will be fine on defense you know if you get into a game where you do, somebody jumps on you and fall, you fall behind let's say it's Missouri or somebody you know I, I do think that uh you're going to need to pass the ball to come back maybe you know depends on how good Missouri's run defense is to be honest if you can stop Swift Uh, So I think that'll be the big test if it happens to Georgia, uh, given the schedule that they play.
1: Agreed. The only other team that we haven't really, uh, I guess, covered is Alabama. And (laughs) yeah, they had a spring game. I didn't watch two seconds of it. I think I've got a pretty good handle on Alabama. Um, I mentioned the coordinators. I don't think Nick Saban lost any sleep over losing the two that he lost. Uh, And I think, I think, Steve Sarkeesian is a natural in Tuscaloosa. Uh, I, I, the, the fact that they got him uh, away after the Falcons fired him, I think Sarkeesian will do will do great things in Tuscaloosa. And you know, being an offensive coordinator for Nick Saban is not an easy job. You're going to have to certainly work within the confines of what he wants and how he wants the game to be played from a tempo standpoint and everything else. And you're going to take a lot of heat if things go wrong. If the offense turns it over, that's on you. But I, I, I to me, that is – I think Nick Saban learned a little bit of a lesson last year. It, I think the feeling was kind of like the Patriots and his buddy Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick has lost – a dozen coordinators in his time, and a dozen key assistant coaches, and guess what? They're still playing for the Super Bowl every year. And maybe there was the feeling that Alabama could do that because I mean, why not? They kept losing a lot of coaches, and we you know once the Kirby Smart domino fell, uh, a number of offensive coordinators came and went. And guess what? Alabama was still playing for national championships. But I, I think this year, I think he really wanted to get these hires right. And and not just get a good guy, but a couple of guys that he believes will not only be really good, but guys that will stay. When you have that kind of turnover, that's a lot to ask. I think that's one of the more underrated things that Nick Saban has done. He's been able to keep consistency as a championship program in spite of the fact he continually loses key coaches. But uh, I, I like what they bring into town. To me, that was the biggest story for Alabama, the personnel is the personnel and you know what they have coming back at quarterback with Tua and ridiculous wide receivers. They always have bruising running backs. They always are good on the line. Uh, you lose Quinn Williams, which will be huge, but again, they, they reload in Tuscaloosa, but I think he's more comfortable with the coaching staff he has in 2019.
0: Yeah, I mean, Steve Sarkeesian makes sense kind of with the style that they want to run. I mean, I thought Mike Loxley did a good job calling plays last year and parlayed that into going home to Maryland and getting that job. And I think he, quite frankly, deserves a shot. It was a different type of style. Sarkeesian's more like, you know, what Alabama has traditionally run. He's kind of a little... Kind of a lot like Lane Kiffin. And that's probably no surprise since they both were co coordinators at Southern Cal uh, post Norm Chow era under Pete Carroll. And, you know, they're kind of the same guy schematically.
1: But uh, without the drama.
0: Without the drama. Well, I don't know.
1: <laughs> Not the Lane Kiffin uh, ho- ho- kind of drama.
0: Hopefully, is, there's no more drama. But, uh, and, and Sarkeesian, you know, look, the Falcons lost Shanahan. We're here. We've seen that team play. We know that Shanahan did a much better job uh, than Sarkisian did calling plays in Atlanta. There's no question about it. Um, but that doesn't really mean much when you're talking about the college game. You look at so many guys who are great play callers who go to the NFL and don't really do that well. Bobby Petrino and Steve Spurrier come to mind. Um, and they go back to college, and they're lighting it up again. So I, I, don't, I, I, think, I think he'll be fine in Tuscaloosa and all that good stuff. Now, their defensive coordinator, Pete Golding, Let me just tell you this, Mike. So Saban Saban hires this guy maybe after last year or year before. Hadn't been there very long. Hired him from Texas, San Antonio. Next thing you know when people are talking about defensive coordinator jobs and stuff like that, all you hear is Pete Golding, Pete Golding, Pete Golding, Pete Golding, Pete Golding. You know, this guy started his career at Delta State as a graduate assistant. (laughs) You know, Alabama is the first big place he's been. And I think it speaks volumes that after what happened at the end of last year. And look, the defense was a the defense was not a typical Bama defense. Tosh Lupoy, I think, in my opinion, as a guy they promoted from within a guy that gets a lot of, you know, recruiting accolades and all that and a guy that uh, can coach defensive line a little bit. He's now the D line coach for the Browns. Um, I just don't think you know, based on what I've heard and what I saw, you know, that he was up to the task. I think Saban actually had to step in and kind of do some things last year. Yeah. So, so for, for him to give this job to Pete Golding, I think is, it just speaks volumes about Pete Golding. I think the hype is real, um, you know, and then you got some other guys. I mean, he, seven new assistant coaches, uh, hiring Brian Baker, who was the D line coach at Mississippi state, I think is big. Look at the defensive lineman they've had, um, you know, you, you got uh, another Mississippi State assistant. That you, I mean, boy, the, he just r- drove down that road where you get no cell phone service between Tuscaloosa and, and Starkville in his in his limo or whatever he drives, or maybe he had somebody drive him, and he just started stealing folks from that staff. Um, Kyle Flood, the former head coach at Rutgers, is now the offensive line coach. Wow, um, you know, you, you brought Sal and back. Uh, getting the band back together, then you plucked Holman Wiggins away from uh, Justin Fuente and Virginia Tech. So he went all over the place to reassemble this staff. And it's not a getting the band back together type of deal when you consider that, you know, other than Sunseri, he didn't go out and like rehire a lot of guys, which he's done in the past. So I, I think it's a new day uh, for the Crimson Tide and they probably wanted some new
1: energy. And I think, I think you're talking about two guys that are going to be there for a few years. Like, th- this is not just, let me let me sit in the saddle and uh, feed off the land of Nick Saban and his success for two years and then become a head coach somewhere else. I mean, Sarkeesian's already been there. And because of what happened, I'm not so sure that teams are going to be lining up for his services. Uh, and, and Pete Golding's just, I mean, he's young you know, I mean, a young guy, I think he's 35, 36, uh, who's still kind of building up a resume. So he, you know, he's not in the Kirby smart category anytime soon. It's going to take a while before he can land a, a job like an sec job or a BC, BCS power five job, something like that. So I, I, to me, Nick, Nick wanted to get two guys that he obviously thought were a fit and two guys that are not going to be gone in 2020 or 2021. Yeah. You know, they, they have not had stability in the coaching ranks. And again, I, I think that that was a big uh, factor for them. Uh, I think at some point that finally adds up after a while and and you get a little bit vulnerable in some spots. So uh, I, I think he's got what he's want from a staff standpoint. And, you know, the rest, what can you say? Alabama's Alabama. And, if, you know, we could spend 30 seconds on Alabama and Clemson. It's going to be the same story, right? Loaded. Yeah. Playoff teams, uh, programs couldn't be in better shape, blah, 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 blah. There's no unique insight on any of those things.
0: I'll say this, though, and I I did a TV spot earlier this week, and they asked me about Clemson. And, you know, Clemson doesn't have that problem, losing coaches. And, uh, you know, you you kind of – I think a lot of people are, like, amazed by it. But listen to this. (laughs) All right, here's their offensive staff. Co-coordinator Tony Elliott, Clemson graduate, biggest place he's ever coached is Clemson. Jeff Scott, co-offensive coordinator, Clemson graduate, biggest place he's ever coached is Clemson. That's his only Power 5 job. Robbie Caldwell, who was at Vanderbilt and Furman and NC State. Pageland, South Carolina native towards the back end of his career. He's on the back nine, winning national championships. He's home, not going anywhere. Danny Pierman, journeyman. Previously on some old Clemson staffs, went around the ACC. I think he was a Virginia Tech for a while, North Carolina for a while, tight ends coach. Clemson graduate. Brandon Spetreater, the quarterback's coach. Clemson graduate. Clemson is the only place in the Power Five he's ever coached. All five of those guys are home. They're not going anywhere. They've never been anywhere else. You know, Brent Venables is a guy they hired from Oklahoma. Oklahoma folks weren't too fired up about him to begin with when they got him Makes $2 million a year, lives on the lake, gets to coach his kids, winning a national championship, doesn't have to put up with the headaches a head coach does. Probably not going anywhere until he gets a job that's just a no-brainer. Uh, Mickey Kahn, the safeties coach, was coaching high school football three years ago in Loganville, Georgia. Played safety for the Alabama national championship team with Dabo. Todd Bates came from Jacksonville State. He's the defensive line coach at Clemson now. Played at Alabama 01-04. One of the outliers is Mike Reed, the defensive backs coach, played at Boston College, but he was at NC State for six years before coming to Clemson, so he's been in the Carolinas now for like over a decade. And then finally, Lemansky Hall, who I don't think's ever coached on the Division I level, he was kind of one of those analysts, uh, was another teammate of Dabo's at Bama. So it's not like, with the exception of going and hiring Brent Venables, when you look at this Clemson staff right now, the, the, there's a bunch of all stars uh, before they got to Clemson. Um, it, you know, they're just guys that you know have ties to the program or ties to the head coach that are good guys that work hard that you know know a thing or two about football. Um, and, and, and so, to me, you know, when people ask about how does Clemson keep their staff in place, you know, why don't these guys go anywhere else? I, I think it's because they're either home or working in a very comfortable situation, and they're kind of at the pinnacle of their careers right now, so why go?
1: Well yeah, it helps too if you're Brent Venables and you're the highest paid coordinator in college football, right? Yeah. I mean basically like if Brent Venables does get another uh sniff for a head coaching job, guess what Clemson's gonna do? They're gonna pony up and they're gonna match it. So now You can, if you're comfortable in your coordinator's skin, which obviously he is, I mean, if he was one of those guys where I got to be a head coach, I got to be a head coach, I I, got to go ahead and scratch that itch. Otherwise, my life and career will never be the same. He would have already been gone. Um, But he's not one of those guys. He's more like the Bud Foster care category at Virginia Tech, who spent Uh, most of his adult life being a coordinator and and had several opportunities to be a head coach and and never jumped. And I I think that's the way I look at Brent Venables is they're going to, they're going to pay him whatever he needs. There was a time a coordinator, never you never would have thought a coordinator would make a seven figure salary in college football. Absolutely. Positively. Never. I mean, if you were making what a half a million, you were so far ahead of the curve. Well, that's changed. That's changed because head coaches know now so much of what they do is delegated. You don't have head coaches calling plays in most instances on either side of the ball. They're all about recruiting. They're all about, uh, uh, being the face of the program, deciding whether or not to go for it on fourth and two. Uh, that's the head coaching job. Uh, but the coordinators, if you don't have good coordinators, I don't care how good of a head coach you are. You're going to be in trouble. So, it, it, Tony Elliott's a, Elliott's a guy that certainly could get a, a head coaching job. And again, if he gets, if he gets uh, flirted with, my guess is Clemson will G, G him up a little bit more. And the other guys, as you mentioned, they're happy to be where they are. And quite frankly, there's not a, a huge market for some of the guys you mentioned to be head coaches anywhere. So it's a good spot. It kind of goes the same thing I was talking about with Sarkeesian. And because of what happened with him in the college level as a head coach, You have to wonder how many head coaching opportunities are left for a guy like that. So I think Nick Saban is going to have his services for a while. I I think he's hired two coordinators are going to be with him for a while. And as you mentioned, for a number of reasons, Clemson seems to be a stable situation. That's rare when you're a national championship program, which both those are right now, to have that kind of continuity. That just doesn't exist in many places.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, and, and you know, Clemson especially, I, I think that, you know, you you did have uh, – I think Dan Brooks retired and Marion Hobby went to the NFL, the D-line coaches a couple, couple years ago, and then they promoted. And, you know, they've had some guys here and there leave. I mean, Chad Morris, of course, took the head coaching job after 2014 uh, at SMU and now he's at Arkansas. But, boy, you know – this type of continuity, it helps you because it helps you recruit. It helps the relationships that facilitate recruiting decisions. And, and look, people are going to wonder, you know, number one, they're going to wonder what's wrong with Brent Venables. Uh, as why can't he get a head coaching job? Because yeah, his name's been out there. It was out there when he was at Oklahoma. Um, you know, what? what's the deal? I, I don't think there is a deal. I think he's very selective. He makes $2.2 2 million a year. So, I mean, you know, some places that give you your first head coaching job, that that's kind of a little less than head coach salary. I mean, you know, in the American Conference, I think, what, you make 1.9 uh, at, at good places? Um, you know, so it'll take a special you, job.
1: You know it would be an interesting stat? So, you know, you, you always hear about the, the average lifespan of an NFL running back is about four years, mm-hmm. right? And, and then all the wear and tear and everything else and the body just, you know, it, it, you don't have any Emmitt Smiths anymore. Guys, a, a really good NFL running back, if you can make it to 10 years, that's a miracle. Most of them make it to about four or five and then the productivity completely declines. And before you know it, they're out of the league. I would love to see a study. Division one first first time head coaches. What is the average duration of the job before they got fired? Hmm. Because and and that's the thing. As I often say, when when these guys are looking at the best job available, fans always, you know, kind of gravitate towards well, which this is the job with the most cachet. So clearly, that's the one you take. Well, this one's in the SEC, so clearly that's the one you take. No, 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 no. Coach, coaches have families, right? I mean, they, they got a wife. They got kids. They're thinking about long-term stability. They got a financial advisor. They got an agent. And I always go back to this term. What job is the path of least resistance? In other words, what job is going to give you the most job security? If Brent Venables went ahead and took the head coaching job at, I don't know, SMU, Louisiana Tech, Illinois, oh, uh, Oregon State. What's probably going to happen? It's probably going to be, be fired within five years because those jobs just are, are almost unwinnable on a consistent basis. Not a knock on Brett Venables. That's almost anybody. Yeah, there's there's the few and far between like a Tom Herman that goes to Houston and everything works out. And you wind up becoming the biggest name in college football in terms of up-and-coming head coaches. And you pretty much have your pick of the litter and you get your dream job at Texas. That is the exception to the rule that is so uncommon. We know that story, what we don't talk about or focus on or ever really hear about in great details. All the other guys that were the best thing since sliced bread and get that first-time head coaching job, and it doesn't work out because the job is really hard to win at, and they're fired inside of five years. So if you're Brent Venables, why take it that job, which is not going to pay more money, when you can be the coordinator and keep racking up championships at Clemson and making a lot of money in the process and not having to worry about Getting fired like ever, path of least resistance.
0: I'll also add, you've you've been to Clemson. I've been up to Clemson, and uh, I, you know, if you kind of like scenic beauty and a big old lake, and I'm pretty sure he probably lives on the lake, making that kind of money in Pickens County, South Carolina, (laughs) and the outdoors. And and there's you know his kids go to Daniel High School, which is a really good high school right there, and it's a small town feel, and you feel safe. It's a college atmosphere. I mean, you got a family and you're making that kind of money and winning championships. Man, I mean, you know, why go take the Charlotte job? Right. <laughs> or, or someplace like that. And I, and on that point, Mike, I think a lot of times it's about where you are coaching to. Um, as far as the first time guys that get in there and, and, and do it for the first time. Okay, so Jimbo Fisher never been a head coach. Gets the Florida State job as the head coach in waiting. Good job. Now he's one of the few national championship winners out there, Dabo Sweeney, Clemson. Clemson had its problems. Uh, Even through the Tommy Bowden era with facilities and, you know, they hadn't been good in a while, hadn't won the ACC in a while. You can still ask anybody in the country, that's a great job because path of least resistance, they're in the ACC and they're basically an SEC-level program. Um. Bob Stoops and Lincoln Riley both got Oklahoma. They've done pretty well. Sure. Kirby Smart and Mark Rick had never been head coaches before they got the Georgia job. You know? So, mm-hmm. I, and look, it, and it doesn't work out 100%. I mean, who knows what will happen with Ryan Day at Ohio State? First-time head coach.
1: I, I know one thing about Ryan Day. The NFL loves that guy. I,
0: I, think, I think he's got a tremendous resume and is a guy that... I have every – He'll be offered
1: an NFL coaching job soon, you watch.
0: Yeah, I have every uh, feeling that he'll be successful. However, you know, he's never been a head coach before and he's getting a good job. You know, it's guys that get the other jobs (laughs) that have never been head coaches before that, you know, it's kind of iffy. So I think think a lot of times it's, it's what job you can get. And I think that's the thinking. Like if Oklahoma wanted Brent Venables, I think he would go to
1: Oklahoma. Well, yeah, I mean, first of all, Oklahoma is going to pay him over $5 million a year yeah. if they, you know, if that's the situation. I mean, they're going to pay him ridiculous money, and that is a job where you are set up to win and win consistently, mm-hmm. especially the status of the Big 12 right now. I mean, Texas is on the rise, but what else are you really excited about in the Big 12? Uh, it's not Oklahoma State. It's not Baylor. It's not Texas Tech. It's certainly not Kansas. <laughs> With all due respect to Les Miles, I mean it's so that is a that's a great job for a number of reasons. If I'm looking at path of least resistance, if I'm saying Oklahoma or Texas A and M, it's Oklahoma. Florida State or Texas A and M, it's Florida State in some ways because I'm in the ACC and I've got one other major program to worry about. Although the expectation level in Tallahassee is certainly pretty high as well. Just ask Jimbo Fisher. So that all those things factor into it. Um, but, but I, I think if, in this day and age, if you can get the continuity, if you can get two coordinators who are not chomping at the bit to jump at the first head coaching jo- job that comes their way and you can keep that staff in place. that is so, I mean, that's the way it used to be before you and I were born mm-hmm. coaching staffs pretty much stayed the same. Like, you know, there'd be a little bit of a shakeup here and there, but there wasn't a ton of it. So the, the old Bobby Bowden, Joe Paterno, coach McKay, it's uh, coach Royal. I mean, you know, those guys like their staff stayed intact pretty much for a good part of their run. You had guys that were on their staff for 15, 20 plus years that doesn't exist in most of today's day and age of college football. Okay. We're, we're over time. So I want to go ahead, uh, and segue just real quickly to some, some other hard nuggets, uh, that came through in the last 48 hours or so we've got some new rules in college football or adjusted rules the first one will not apply to maybe two games all year and that is if a game goes to quintuple overtime or more five overtimes or more much like the lsu texas a&m game last year that went what seven and had a ridiculous final score of 72 to 70 or whatever it was 74 72 Uh, Now, after the fourth overtime, rather than lining up first and ten from a 25 against a dog-tired defense where hands are on the hips and guys are doubled over gasping for air, you're just going to go for two every time. I I think it's a smart rule. I think uh, the college overtime, while it's better than the pros, is still flawed, and that'll make things a little bit uh, more conducive to the defense having a chance that late in a game, uh, the other one, which actually will apply to just about every game you watch this year, involves targeting, which is the most controversial. Yet I think I do give them credit, JC. They wanted to get rid of helmet hits, either helmet to helmet or using the helmet as a weapon hits, much like they have, much like they're trying to do in the NFL. I mean, it's. I just watched a whole thirty for thirty on Junior Seau, and it's it's heartbreaking to see how some of these guys' lives change due to uh, brain damage to playing the game of football. So they have established that. I mean, play young players; they are te- they are teachable, and they are being taught. Don't target. Do not do that. So now we we have made progress in that area in terms of less of those type of hits. But we had too many situations where a guy's getting kicked out of the game and shouldn't be kicked out of the game. So the way it goes now, players who commit three targeting fouls in the season could face a one-game suspension. That's number one. That's not going to happen very often either. But under the current rules, players who commit targeting are ejected from the game and are required to miss the first half of the next game if the penalty occurs in the second half. That stays. The referees will be required to re- review replays of all targeting calls, To confirm, that's the key word, confirm all elements of targeting were present. If the targeting penalty can't be confirmed by video review, the call on the field will not stand. So how many times last year did you see a guy, they missed the call, uh, and and they didn't have enough review to, to overturn it, what have you, and the guy gets suspended for the next game for a half? This should help that uh, rule be a little more fair and, and avoid the egregious errors by officials in that situation. And therefore seems like a step in the right direction.
0: Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think that, um, that was, that's fair. Um, there were all, uh, you know, because the, the replay rule as it stood was you either have to have enough evidence to overturn it. um, or you don't, you can say, and that's the key word when, when other replays happen, you know, the previous plays under further or whatever, you know, if the call stands, that means the replay booth did not have enough to overturn it, but they didn't necessarily think it was a no brainer. Um, and then confirm the call is confirmed. That means that, you know, yeah, that's exactly, you know, this is, this is a hundred percent, right. Um, I think it's smart to have it. You know, it's either targeting or it's not. And and this eliminates some of the, you know, middle ground. Because I, I don't think that um, – I'm all for a safer game. But I, I think it's fundamentally unfair. I mean, you had guys throwing flags last year for targeting for hard hits that were perfectly legal. Now, most of those were indeed overturned. But I would hate to see a, a player, you know – you know, miss a half a football um, for just playing the game the right way uh, or having a hard hit or, or doing something, you know, and a lot of times on these replays too, you'll see that they try to pull up or that they're, they're trying to get out of the way and happen so fast. So I, I'm all in favor of this. The overtime thing I think is uh, chicken feces, in my opinion. Um, I think everybody got really scared after the LSU Texas A and M game last year, which happens once every blue moon. Um, I think Arkansas and Ole Miss was a game like that, and then Arkansas had another one of those uh, at some point as well that went to a lot of overtimes. I I just I understand like TV doesn't want to televise a game for seven hours. I understand, you know, the the whole athlete safety thing, they don't need to be playing that much. Eh, eh, No, they play once a week. Come on. Take some practice time off. Um, I am not in favor fundamentally of anything that possibly will take more college football away from fans that love it and spend their hard-earned money to go see the games and watch it on TV and support their team. There's not enough college football as it is. They only play 12 games a year, you know, why are we worried sometimes about speeding the game up? Oh, the game's too long. No, it's not. It just takes away more plays for college fans to enjoy. And this, this is something that never happened. I think just kind of the bureaucrats out there kind of looked at it and got a little spooked. Like we can't have that. And so, you know, now you have a solution. That's it's It is. It's a, it's D I mean, you know, going for two every time that's fine. Get the game over or whatever. But, uh, I uh, still, you know, something that happens that that doesn't happen that often to me, it you know, why? Why are we worried about it?
1: Well, I I will tell you this, it's not a TV thing in that it, first of all, as you said, it only happens once in a blue moon. I mean, you 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 might see one game like this a year in in every game that's played in college football. Uh but if you're televising it and it keeps going, I tell you, you're not hurting your ratings by by going 12 overtimes yeah. because people that ordinarily would not care about that game. If you have, I remember when that game happened, and it was the talk of the night. Yeah, because all of a sudden you're like, I got to turn this thing on. I got to see what's happening. So I can promise you, the SEC network and ESPN and CBS, uh, they don't mind a game that goes 15 overtimes because it's it's ratings, brother. It, that's that's good TV. Uh, I do wonder, though, I mean, watching a number of those games uh, that go past a couple of overtimes, it does get a little ridiculous. Like, it, it's, it no longer resembles football because the defense is just – I don't know if it's a true safety measure. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you they're going to be carried off on a stretcher. But they are gassed. I mean, they're just like – You're the, the offense has such an advantage at that point to where when you get to five overtimes, are we really watching anything that's, that's good? So forget about safety. Yeah. Forget about all the other factors. I just don't know if it's good football at that point. That's my only concern. Um, I, I hate NFL overtime. Mm-hmm. I hate, 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 hate it. The fact that one team can win a coin flip, score a touchdown, and the game is over. I mean, the Patriots beat the Falcons on a Super Bowl that ended that way. But... I've never thought that the college football over time is flawless. I'm not saying I have the answers, but I, I wonder if we're going to start look, taking a closer look at that in general and thinking, what can we do to make this better? And I don't, like I said, I, I'm not sure if I have an answer right now. I've heard a bunch of different philosophies on that. Um, and the fact that all those stats, I mean, years from now, people are going to be like, wow, 145 points scored in the game. What, a, what an offensive showdown. No, it's just a, all those touchdowns count as a regular touchdown when, when every possession in overtime starts in the opposing 25. Now, that might not matter to your average fan about statistics, but I think it's kind of silly. I, I mean, I think stats in the game are kind of important, and I, a guy throws like, Ten touchdown passes in a seven overtime game. Like, wow, he lit it up. No, he didn't. He just, he just faced a a dog-tired defense in a bunch of overtimes where they they just had a malmatched. Anyway, um, like I said, that that won't be nearly as big a factor as the targeting penalty situation. And we do have to get to a point in time where if we're going to make the penalty that egregious. 15 yards, automatic first down, guy kicked out, guy suspended for a half. We better, we better damn well get it right. So confirmed not to get all too nerdy here, but that that's always the key word in terms of review. It's if they, if the call stands, that means they didn't have enough to overturn it. That doesn't mean they got it right, but with all the television angles nowadays, uh, usually you've got enough to confirm it one way or another. And if you don't, the kid shouldn't be suspended, you know, and kicked out of the game at that, that to me is and is a hard like 15 yards and a first down is a pretty hard penalty as it is. Guys don't want to be racking up targeting penalties no matter what. It It is a defensive killer and you're you're enabling the offense to have a heck of an advantage on that particular drive. Now you're going to kick them out. Then you're going to suspend them. You better be right on that if you're going to keep calling it. All right. Uh, Anything else? I was well, just going to go over draft real quick. I know we're running out of time. NFL draft is coming up as you and I are recording this on a Wednesday. It starts tomorrow. I am an NFL draft nerd. I admit it because unlike the NBA draft, which has become predominantly, it's about to become high school kids, but it's predominantly one and duns and European dudes. I never heard of. I The thing that college and pro football fans can appreciate is we all know the product. We all know the players that are being drafted. Um, if you're a college football fan and you're watching the first round on Thursday night, you're like, Oh yeah, I saw that guy. Oh yeah. This guy was great in college. Oh yeah. You don't have that in the other sports, which is why the NFL is never going to change that rule where you got to be three years out of high school. That's what makes the NFL draft a marquee event. So they can have three days of national TV coverage donated to this and have great ratings. And it's, it's a, it's a big spectacle. So, I was just looking at it, you know, as always, the quarterbacks lead the way. So is Kyler Murray going to be number one? Probably, which would be the second straight Oklahoma quarterback to go number one, which would be the second straight quarterback in college who was a transfer to go number one. And you add that to Cam Newton, who was a knucklehead in Gainesville before going to Blinn Junior College, before going to Auburn, that would be three quarterbacks who transferred in college in the last decade, who wound up being the number one overall pick in the draft and winning the Heisman Trophy. Now, I don't know what all that means, but I just thought it was interesting.
0: Yeah, it is. And I think there was one other – we briefly kind of looked back on the the selections. A couple years ago, Nathan Peterman out of Pitt got drafted. Uh, He started his career at Tennessee – um, ironically, I think he and Josh Dobbs kind of got drafted right around the same time. Josh, Dobbs. yeah,
1: Dobbs went in the fourth round. Peterman went in the fifth. Yeah, good point.
0: So um, both those guys started at the University of Tennessee. But you know, it, it's um, it's interesting. Of course, you know Baker Mayfield. We all know the story. There, he was a walk on and almost went to TCU and didn't. Then walked on at Texas Tech and. If I'm not mistaken, Davis Webb and Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes may not have been there yet, but Davis Webb I believe was was there or coming. I don't know. Texas Tech had quarterbacks, and he wins the job right away, and then goes to Oklahoma, <laughs> and uh, the rest is history. And then um, Kyler Murray, of course, was a you know one of those five star recruits, and goes to starts but starts with a And M. A And M had two five star quarterbacks in that class. Kyler Murray and Kyle Allen, and sort of rotated them at the end of that year, and they both ended up transferring. <laughs>
1: yeah. You know what else is is kind of interesting about all this? Is I look at the first round quarterbacks the last couple of years? Now, obviously Baker Mayfield, great success, guy was a winner and, and damn near won a national championship. Uh, Deshaun Watson the year before, pretty much when when you. 30 years from now when you look at when Clemson became an actual power in college football his face is going to be right next to Dabos in terms of like the the biggest reasons why but other than that we all agree the quarterback's most position on the most important position on the field right it's not even close mm-hmm. Sam Darnold Southern Cal I mean he won some big games but didn't exactly take Southern Cal to the mountaintop Lamar Jackson of Louisville Josh Rosen of UCLA uh Mitch Trubisky at at North Carolina I mean even Pat Mahomes I did a couple of his games in college at Texas Tech they scored a lot of points but of course they didn't do much because they could never play any defense Uh, you mentioned Davis Webb at Cal C.J. Bethard at Iowa these are all guys that were taken in the NFL draft uh Nathan Peterman at Pitt Brad Kaya at Miami, Chad Kelly at Ole Miss. I mean, <laughs> uh, there have been some NFL talents uh, in college at quarterback, but you, you got to have some help, right? You got to have got to have some guys around you.
0: Yeah, you do. And 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 look, I, I think that the the guys that and I kind of went on a crusade uh, with during the Trubisky, Watson, and Mahomes draft that. Uh, yeah, I thought Deshaun Watson would be would have been the guy that needed to be taken because I saw him time and time again during his career at Clemson. You know, they're down late in the game, and this this was before Clemson was blowing everybody out. This was like two or three years ago. Um, you know, he'd make the plays under pressure. You know, I didn't care how many interceptions he threw. You know, all that good stuff because I want the guy that's going to lead you back um and at the beginning of his nfl career you know he got off to a brilliant start with the texans he's had some injuries and then of course mahomes in his second year blew up um and was outstanding so what do i know about nfl quarterbacks (laughs) i just know there are a lot of bad ones in the league and i think they i still contend that they overthink the position when they're drafting it i think a lot of guys you know just don't make the adjustment but um
1: Well, here's what we do know: that the top three quarterbacks from that 2017 draft you're alluding to, Mitch Trubisky, he can play. He 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 proved a lot of doubters wrong last year. He was number two. Number ten was Pat Mahomes. Uh, (laughs) yeah, he can play. He's a guy that uh, set all kinds of records, you know, last year and uh, an MVP candidate. And number twelve, Deshaun Watson, he can play. So the the scouts got. They got it right in 2017. After that was Deshaun, Kaiser, Davis Webb, Beathard, Dobbs. and They're just one, It wasn't a deep class. I'm, but the, the yeah. top three guys, they all got right.
0: I am curious to see if Kingsbury, who I still can't believe is the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals now, but that's okay, um, if he drafts Kyler Murray number one overall. I, I th- think he is. That's an experiment. That's not... That's that. That's something that could either change the league fundamentally, in terms of it being an even more offensive league than it already is, um, and in terms of different you know st- college styles of, of offense and things like that, or it's going to be something we're sitting here laughing at in two or three years. I don't know which one. I don't know what the answer is. I doubted Kyler Murray before, but that was on the college level, and there's a long line of guys that are his size with his skill set that have proved people wrong at the college level. That number shrinks when you get to the NFL. There's been a lot of coaches that have tried to do some air raid offense in the NFL. Remember June Jones? Remember the Jerry Glanville era? Sure. With the Falcons, Larry Munson would call those games. He'd be like shotgun, red gun. We're on the 40 yard. Line. Yeah, Larry Munson used to call Falcons games. And hey, Here goes Chris Miller dropping back. I mean, and, and it was kind of good for a while, and then people figured it out, and that was it. So, so I don't know. I think I think when you combine the, the quarterback nobody says is a fit for the NFL and the offense nobody says is a fit for the NFL, and it's the Cardinals on top of everything else, and um, I, I just think it's going to be fascinating, Mike. I'm probably going to. You know, buy Sunday direct ticket this year so I can watch the Cardinal games if that happens. Because I think it's like I said, it's either going to be something transformational to us as as transformational as the NFL can get. Or it's going to be something that we go, ha, 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 boy, that really worked.
1: It it will be must see TV because, uh, like you said, I know I think if Baker Mayfield was a flop, Kyler Murray has no chance of going number one. Yeah. You got two Oklahoma kids, you got two kids that were told they they weren't tall enough. well, Baker Mayfield's plenty tall um and and I and looks like he's got he's on the verge of becoming one of the better quarterbacks in the league and I would say this about Murray why I like Murray and I do think he'll be a success at the next level because it's not about him scrambling and running all over the place. That dude has a cannon of an arm. I think some people just can't wrap their head around the fact that the guy's five ten. And not as stocky as Russell Wilson, but somehow has that kind of arm. And he's accurate, which you have to be. Uh, so when I say can of an arm, I don't care if you can throw it 70 yards. How many times does an NFL quarterback throw it 70 yards in the course of a game? No. In the course of a season? Hardly ever. But you better be able to make the 15-yard out. You better be able to uh, thread the needle over the middle to the tight end between the linebacker and the safety. And from what I've seen, I know it's a small sample size. The kid can do it. He can make all the throws. It certainly seems like he's got a good head on his shoulders. I actually think he'll be a success at the next level. I can't wait to see it. Um, and I'm with you. I, I might have to go in on that Sunday ticket because I, I, I want to watch that kid play. To me, he's he's more fascinating than Michael Vick. I, I mean, he that is a guy that intrigues the hell out of me. Because I know people I've never stood next to him. I know people who have. He is not big at all. But damn, can he play? And and I think the whole notion that you have to be six three like that 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 antiquated way of thinking is is gone. And you're gonna see more and more not just running quarterbacks. You know my take on that. Mm-hmm. There is a group of people that just can't get, they, they want you to believe the future of, of football at every level is quarterbacks running all over the place. And every year you watch the super bowl and it's some of the slowest damn quarterbacks. <laughs> they ever play the game yeah. because they operate from the pocket and they dissect the hell out of the people, uh, out of opposing defenses. So no, the, just because you want it to change that way many of my talking head, uh, cohorts, just because you want the game to turn that way, doesn't mean it is turning that way. So I mean, when Michael Vick came out of Virginia to, Oh, this is the future of football. No, it's not. When ro- stay, when RG, yeah. When RG, healthy. no. And when RG three, oh, this is the future. No, it's not. No, it's not. And uh, Pat Mahomes is as good as he is because even though he can run, the guy is always looking to throw first. Same thing with Deshaun Watson. So Uh, I'm not trying to get into that whole deal. That's a whole other ball. But this kid, while he is a Mike Vick-type runner, he can actually make all the throws. And if he just continues to to progress there, he'll be a lot of fun to watch. Hey, I'll tell you what's a lot of fun to watch. People wearing clothing from bpskinnerclothiers.com, those people are fun to watch because they look so damn good. They can take anybody, even a schlub like me, and make you look good. That's what Brent Skinner does. Had a chance to see him just this past weekend, Stop by the showroom, all kinds of great things again on tap there. But most importantly, you could just go straight to him. You, he'll come straight to you, I should say. You go straight to his website or you even call him. Heck, I'll tell you what, I'll take it one better. I'm looking in my cell phone right now, JC, and I'm going to do something I've never done before. Uh-oh. I'm going to give you his cell number. You folks write this down. You just call him directly. You tell him Mike sent you. He will. Co- I don't care where you are in North America. He will come out to see you, get you fit for all your suits, your shirts, your pants, accessories, you name it. You will not get better merchandise. You will not deal with a better person, and the prices are great as well. Cell number, Brent Skinner, BP Skinner, Clothier Associates, 803 Five two nine three. That's eight zero three. Five three zero. It's a great thing about a podcast. You can just rewind it if I say it too fast. Five three zero five two nine three. Let Brent Skinner do, do what he's done for people like myself and people all over the country. Help you look your very best with custom made clothing. JC, we are over time. It's amazing. We go long when there's not a single game going on, I know. but that's that's are two guys who love college football, having fun on the podcast. Speaking of which, if they don't already subscribe to this thing, if they just stumbled upon it because somebody much cooler than them told them, Hey, listen to this podcast. How do they become as cool as their friends and subscribe to the podcast for free, if I might add.
0: Well, if you're an iTunes user, you go to Apple iTunes. Um, if you're an Android user, go to Google Play. We're also on a podcasting app like Stitcher, uh, Podcast Mania, Pod Buzz. I've seen them all over the place. So, anywhere you find podcasts, you can get JC and Morgan.
1: We are living in a podcast world, and I am a podcast guy. I think Madonna sang that years ago. <laughs> JC, always a pleasure, my man. No more spring games to talk about, but still plenty more. When we talk next time, we will finally get to the most disappointing teams of 2018, because I think it's, you can relate it to what to look forward to in 2019 as well. That and so much more on the next time, on the next venture of the JC and Morgan podcast. Until then, for JC, this is Mike saying so long.